Chapter Nine of Audrey Craven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Nine. On the evening of her dinner, Audrey had some difficulty in distributing her guests. After all, eight had accepted. Besides the Havilands, with Mr. Knowles and his friend Mr. St. John, there was Mr. Flaxman Reed, who, as Audrey now discovered, greatly to her satisfaction, was causing some excitement in the religious world by his interesting attitude midway between high Anglicanism and Rome. There were Mr. Dixon Barnett, the great Asiatic explorer, and his wife, and Miss Gladys Armstrong, the daring authoress of Sour Grapes and Threw Fire to Moloch, two novels dealing with the problem of heredity. Audrey had to contrive as best she might to make herself the centre of attraction throughout the evening, and at the same time do justice to each of her distinguished guests. The question was, who was to take her in to dinner? After weighing impartially the claims of her three more or less intimate acquaintances, Audrey decided in favour of the unknown. She felt unusual complacence with this arrangement. Her fancies were beginning to cluster round the idea of Mr. St. John with curiosity. It was to be herself and Mr. St. John, then. Mr. Knowles and Miss Armstrong, of course. The critic was so cynical and hard to please that she felt a little triumphant in having secured someone whom he would surely be delighted to meet. Mr. Flaxman Reed and Catherine, no, Mrs. Dixon Barnett, Mr. Dixon Barnett falling to Catherine's share. For Ted, quite naturally, there remained nobody but Cousin Bella. Poor boy, he'll be terribly bored, I'm afraid, but it can't be helped. The Havilands were the first to arrive. How superb you look, was Audrey's exclamation, as she kissed her friend on both cheeks and stepped back to take a good look at her. Catherine's appearance justified the epithet. Her gown, the work of her own hands, was of some transparent black stuff, swathed about her breast, setting off the honey-like pallor of her skin. Her slight figure supplied any grace that was wanting in the draperies. That black and white was a splendid foil for Audrey's burnished hair, and her dress an ingenious medley of flesh pink apple green and ivory silk one moment dear just let me pin that chiffon up on your shoulder to make your sleeves look wider there she hovered round catherine spying out the weak points in her dress and disguising them with quick skilful fingers a woman never looks more charming than when doing these little services for another so ted thought as he watched audrey laying her white arms about his sister and putting her head on one side to survey the effect critically. To the boy, with his senses sharpened to an almost feverish subtlety by the incessant stimulus of his imagination, Audrey was the epitome of everything most completely and joyously alive. Roses, sunlight, flame, with the shifting, waving lines of all things most fluent and elusive, were in her face, her hair, the movements of her limbs. Her body was like a soul to its clothes, it animated inspired the mass of silk and lace he could not think of her as she was the creature of the day and the hour modern from the surface to the core yet never had she looked more modern than at this moment never had that vivid quality that touch of artificial distinction appeared more stereotyped in its very perfection and finish but ted in the first religious fervour of his passion had painted her as the saint of the beatific vision and in the same way to ted ever since that evening on the river she recalled none but open-air images she was linked by flowery chains of association to an idyllic past a past of four days ago 
her very caprices suggested the shy approaches and withdrawals of some divinity of nature it was by these harmless fictions each new one rising on the ruins of the old that ted managed to keep his ideal of audrey intact there was a slight stir in the passage outside the half-open door audrey still busy about katherine's dress seemed not to hear it my dear audrey protested miss craven from her corner there that'll do said katherine laughing you stuck quite enough pins into me for one night stand still and don't wiggle cried audrey as the door opened wide for a second she was conscious of being watched by eyes that were not ted's or anything like them at the same time the footman announced in a firm clear voice mr knowles and mr langley wyndham she had heard this time the look she had seen from the doorway was the same look that had followed her in the dean's drawing-room at oxford all the emotions of that evening thronged back into her mind the vague fascination the tense excitement the mortification that resulted from the wound to her self-love and pride so this was mr st john a year ago he had refused an introduction to her and now he wanted to know her his friend had said so he was seeking the acquaintance of his own accord without encouragement how odd it all was well whether his former discourtesy had been intentional or not he knew how to apologize for it gracefully she had no time to think more about the matter for her remaining guests came in altogether and in another five minutes audrey was suffering from that kind of nightmare in which some grave issue you don't know precisely what hangs on the adjustment of trifles absurdly disproportionate to the event and which disarrange themselves perversely at the dramatic moment everything seemed to go wrong she had relied on knowles and miss gladys armstrong for a brilliant display of intellectual fireworks but beyond the first casual remarks absolutely required of them they had not a word to say to each other miss armstrong managed cleverly enough to strike a little spark of epigram from the flinty dialogue it flickered and went out knowles smiled politely at the abortive attempt but at her first serious remark he shook his head as much as to say my dear lady this is a conundrum i give it up and finally turned to katherine on his left in fact he monopolized her during the rest of dinner much to the annoyance of mr dixon barnett who spent himself in futile efforts to win back her interest his behaviour in its turn rousing the uneasy attention of mrs dixon barnett she again was so preoccupied in watching the movements of her lord that she almost forgot the existence of mr flaxman reed who sat silent and depressed under her shadow wyndham gave audrey credit for great perspicacity in pairing these two off together poor fellow he said to himself to preserve him from the temptations of the world and the flesh she's considerately sent him in with the devil for his own part he devoted himself to audrey and his dinner from time to time he glanced across the table and whenever he did so the corners of knoll's mouth twitched nervously and he began to stroke his upper lip a provoking habit of his seeing that he had no moustache to account for it evidently there was some secret understanding between the two and wyndham was gravely and maliciously amused katherine was enjoying herself too but without malice she had so few acquaintances and lived so much in the studio that it was all fresh life to her she was pleased with that unconscious irony of audrey's which had thrown knowles and miss armstrong together pleased with the by-play between knowles and wyndham and with the behaviour of the married couple it was always a delight to her to watch strange faces mrs dixon barnett was a big woman with a long head and she looked something like a horse with its ears laid back 
her hair being arranged to carry out that idea the great asiatic explorer whose round face wore an expression of permanent surprise suggested a man who has met with some sudden shock from which he has never recovered katherine felt sorry for the asiatic explorer she felt sorry for miss gladys armstrong too a little pale woman with a large gaze that seemed to take you in without looking at you her face still young and childlike was scored with the marks of hard work and eager ambition and there was bitterness in the downward droop of her delicate mouth yet the authoress of sour grapes was undeniably a successful woman and wyndham too the successful man wyndham's face attracted katherine in spite of herself it was full of such curious inconsistencies altogether it was refined impressive almost noble yet each of the features contradicted itself the others and the whole the general outline was finely cut but it looked a little worn at the edges the shaven lips were sensitive but they had hard curves at the corners they were firm without expressing self-restraint in the same way the nose was fine at the bridge and coarse towards the nostrils the iris of the eyes was beautiful with its clear brown streaks on an orb of greenish-gray yet his eyes were the most disagreeable feature in wyndham's face as for knowles he interested her with his genial cynicism but it was a relief to turn from these restless types to mr flaxman reed he had the face of the ideal ascetic sweet in its austerity militant in its renunciation what in heaven's name was he doing at audrey craven's dinner-table katherine was not too much absorbed in these speculations to see that ted was behaving very prettily to old miss craven and making himself useful by filling up awkward pauses with irrelevant remarks the boy looked perfectly happy audrey's mere presence seemed to satisfy him though she had not spoken a dozen words to him that evening and was separated from him by the length of the table at last she rose and as he held the door open for her to go out she turned to him with arched eyebrows and a smile that was meant to say you've been shamefully neglected i know but i had to attend to these tiresome people katherine saw mr wyndham making a mental note of the look and the smile she had taken an instinctive dislike to that man upstairs in the drawing-room the five women settled down in a confidential group and with one accord fell to discussing mr wyndham miss craven began it by mildly wondering whether he looked so disagreeable on purpose or because he couldn't help it on the whole she inclined to the more charitable view what do you say kathy asked audrey without looking up i agree with miss craven in thinking nature responsible for mr wyndham's manners mrs dixon barnett disapproved of katherine but she joined in here with a guttural assent poor man said miss gladys armstrong he certainly hasn't improved since that affair with miss fraser audrey looked up suddenly what affair don't you know they were engaged a long time wedding day fixed and everything when she broke it off suddenly without a word of warning why why indeed she left her reasons to the imagination when did it happen just about this time last year i can't think what made her do it unless she had a turn for psychical research raking in the ashes of his past and that sort of thing was he very much cut up about it he didn't whine but he's got an ugly wound somewhere about him curious man langley wyndham i haven't got to the bottom of him yet and i flatter myself i know most men my diagnosis is generally pretty correct he's a very interesting type very said audrey below her breath the novelist knitted her brows and fell into a reverie her interest in langley wyndham was not a purely professional one audrey reflected too 
just about this time last year that might account for things she would have liked to ask more but further discussion of his history was cut short by the entrance of wyndham himself followed by the rest mr flaxman reed was the first to take the empty seat by audrey's side he remembered the talk he had with her at oxford that talk which had provoked wyndham's sarcastic comments himself a strange compound of intellectual subtlety and broad simplicity of character he had taken audrey's utterances in good faith she had spoken to him of spiritual things in one of those moments of self-revelation which he knew well come suddenly to those especially to women whose inner life is troubled but this was not the atmosphere to revive such themes in he had no part in audrey's and in wyndham's world the world which cared nothing for the principles he represented those two great ideals which he served in his spirit and his body the unity of the church and the celibacy of the priesthood but audrey interested him he had first met last seen her during a spiritual and intellectual crisis he had stood alone then severed from those dearest to him by troubled seas of controversy and a word a look had passed which showed that she this woman sympathized with him it was enough there still clung to her the grave and tender associations of that time to-night the woman was unable to give him her whole-hearted attention audrey was disturbed and preoccupied ted was lounging at the back of her chair hanging on her words wyndham and miss armstrong were sitting on the other side of her and she felt herself straining every nerve to catch what they were saying yes said miss armstrong in the tone of a proud parent through fire to moloch was my first in that book i threw down the gauntlet to society it shrugged its shoulders and took no notice my second sour grapes was a backhander in its face it shrieked that time but it read sour grapes which at once increased the demand for through fire to moloch i congratulate you miss armstrong ignored the impertinent parenthesis the critics abused me but i expected that they are men and it was the men i exposed knowles who was standing near smiled and blushed when he caught himself smiling wyndham laughed frankly at his confusion and audrey grew hot and cold by turns what was the dreadful joke those two had about miss armstrong she leaned back and looked up at ted sweetly ted i should like to introduce you to mr knowles he'll tell you all about that illustrated thing you wanted to get on to i'm afraid said knowles that's not in my line i don't know anything about any illustrated things well never mind i want you to know something about mr haviland anyhow this was just what knowles wanted himself he was deeply interested in the situation as far as he understood it and he looked forward to its development this little diversion created miss armstrong continued with imperturbable calm but audrey listening with one ear to mr flaxman reed only heard the livelier parts of the dialogue life isn't all starched linen and eau de cologne said miss armstrong sententiously did i ever say it was returned wyndham virtually you do you turn your back on average humanity pardon me i do nothing of the kind i use discrimination nature has no discrimination exactly and nature has no consideration for our feelings and very little maidenly reserve therefore we've invented art audrey leaned forward eagerly she felt an unusual exaltation at last she was in the centre of intellectual life carried on by the whirl of ideas she answered her companion at random yes mr flaxman reed was saying my work is disheartening half my parish are animals brutalized by starvation degraded out of all likeness to men and women 
How dreadful! What hard work it must be! Hard enough to find decent food and clothing for their bodies, but to have to create a soul under those ribs of death. He paused. His voice seemed suddenly to run dry. Yes, said Audrey, in her buoyant staccato. I can't think how you manage it. There was a moment of silence. Wyndham had turned from Miss Armstrong. Knowles and Ted had long ago joined Miss Haviland at the other end of the room, where Mr. Dixon Barnett, still irresistibly attracted by Catherine, hovered round and round the little group, with the fatal desire of the moth for the star. Audrey stood up. Miss Armstrong was holding out her hand and pleading a further engagement. The little woman looked sour and ruffled. Wyndham's manner had acted on her like vinegar on milk. She was followed by Mr. Flaxman Reed. Wyndham dropped into the seat he left. Dixon, said Mrs. Barnett in a low voice, which the explorer knew and obeyed. They were going on to a large at-home. Audrey turned to Wyndham with a smile. I hope you are not going to follow them, Mr. Wyndham. No, I'm not a person of many engagements, I'm thankful to say. Barnett hasn't much the cut of a great explorer, has he? No, but those wiry little men can go through a great deal. A very great deal. Is Mrs. Barnett a friend of yours? No, not especially. Why? Mere curiosity. That mouth of hers ought to have a bit in it. It's enough to send any man exploring in Central Asia. I can understand Barnett's mania for regions untrodden by the foot of man or woman. Audrey laughed a little nervously. I made a mistake in introducing him to Miss Haviland. It was a little cruel of you, but not half so unkind as asking Miss Armstrong to meet Knowles. That was a refinement of cruelty. Why? What have I done? Tell me. Didn't you know that Knowles went for Miss Armstrong in last week's Piccadilly? Criticized, witticized, slaughtered, and utterly made game of her? No, I'd no idea. I thought they'd be delighted to meet each other, and I know so few really clever people, you know. This rather plaintively. He does cut up people so dreadfully, too. He cut her up into very small pieces. Knowles does these things artistically. He's so urbane in his brutality. That's what makes it so crushing. Are you an admirer of Miss Armstrong? He looked her full in the face, and Audrey blushed. She had read Miss Armstrong's works and liked them because it was the fashion, but not for worlds would she have admitted the fact now. I don't think I am. I've not read all her books. Did you like them? I, I hardly know. She's written so many, and I can't understand them, at least not all of them. Wyndham smiled. She had read all of them then. I'm glad to hear it. I can't understand them myself, but I detest them all the same. I thought so. I saw you were having an argument with her. Oh, as for that, I agreed with her, with her theory, that is, not with her practice. That's execrable. But whatever she says, I always want to support the other side. He changed the subject, much to Audrey's relief. I think you knew Mr. Flaxman Reed at Oxford? Yes, slightly. He's an old friend of my uncle's. There's something infinitely pathetic about him. I've an immense respect for him, probably because I don't understand him. I was surprised to meet him here. Really? You are very uncomplimentary to me. Am I? Mr. Reed has renounced all the pleasant things of life, hence my astonishment at seeing him here you find him easy to get on with perfectly she became absorbed in picking the broken feathers out of her fan she took no interest in mr flaxman reed what she wanted was to be roused stimulated by contact with a great intellect and the precious opportunity was slipping minute by minute from her grasp 
Wyndham was wasting it in deliberate trivialities. She longed to draw him into some subject, large and deep, where their sympathies could touch, their thoughts expand and intermingle. She continued tentatively with a suggestion of self-restrained suffering in her voice. I don't think I have any right to discuss, Mr. Reed. You know, I have no firm faith, no settled opinions. It was an opening into the larger air, a very little one. She had no knowledge or skill to make it bigger but she was determined to show herself a woman abreast of her time. Wyndham leaned back and looked at her through half-opened eyelids. You are no longer convinced of the splendid logic of the Roman faith? She started. His words recalled vividly that evening at Oxford, though she would not have recognized them as hers, but for the quotation marks indicated by Wyndham's tone. No, that was a year ago. What did you know about me then? Nothing. I divine much. You are right, how well you remember. She leaned forward. Her face was animated, eager, in its greed of sympathy, understanding, acknowledgement. Clear and insistent, with a note as of delicate irony, the little porcelain clock in the corner sounded eleven. Knowles and others were making a move. Wyndham rose. I remember most things worth remembering. Five minutes afterwards, Audrey, wrapped in thought, was still standing where Wyndham had left her. Miss Craven and Catherine had gone upstairs, and she was alone with Ted. Suddenly she clenched her hands together at the full length of her white arms, and turned to him in an agony of tenderness, clinging to him like an overwrought child, and lavishing more sweetness on him than she had done since the day of their engagement. Ted was touched with the unusual pathos of her manner. He put it down to sorrow at their separation during the whole of a long evening. End of chapter 9 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.